I was going to ask you if you had been lobotomized. I have not yet begun to drivel. Okay, not entirely relevant, but good to know. Is this something I should have? Maybe I got on that wrong subway. One of our listeners actually went to the trouble of putting Kurt's face <laughs> on Mario Kumanich's body. Heck, maybe I should have just been a bartender. Especially since it's impossible to cut a bagel into two equal halves. Your complexity is magnificent, Kurt. This is Kurt Schneider, and I'm your co-host of Smart Dribble. And I'd like to introduce my fellow co-host. His name is... John Ellen Paul. And today, we're going to welcome you to a new episode where we promise the dribble. And boy, do we hope for the smart. I was going to ask you if you had been lobotomized until you burst with energy at the end of that sentence. You know, we've talked about this in the past. When you go to one of these presentations and everyone talks like this all the time, you never get to hear them. You don't listen. You actually tune it out. So sometimes by just altering the way you speak. So you were trying to manipulate the audience by whispering to bring them in and capture their attention? Engagement. Okay. So, well, we've already gotten the drivel out today. So. No, we won't. no, no, we have not. We've <laughs> just begun the drivel, Kurt. <laughs> we have not yet begun to drivel. Didn't John Paul Jones say that? I have not yet begun to drivel as his ship was sinking. What did Patrick Henry say? Give me liberty or give me drivel. That's it. So see, Actually, drivel works. I did that backwards. What Patrick Henry said was give me drivel or give me death. That's right. And boy, are we giving him drivel. So that's okay. The guy's going to live for a long time. This is his true path to immortality being mentioned in this podcast. So what we're going to talk about today, John, comes from an episode we did just a few weeks ago. We talked about jobs that are no longer and or will no longer be in the future. And that got us thinking what would we be doing if we didn't do the jobs we did? What would we be doing? And so I just think it's an interesting conversation because hopefully it will peak. And I think that's spelled P-I-Q-U-E. I think it would peak the interest of our listeners because that would make them think, hmm, what would I, Mr. Smart Dribble or Ms. Smart Dribble listener, do if I weren't doing what I'm currently doing? If we are going to get our audience to peak, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the P-I-Q-U-E version. There's that great movie, Sliding Doors, like Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow. And it tells the story of basically two different paths based on whether Gwyneth Paltrow caught the tube in London or didn't catch a particular tube. She has a good British accent in that. Okay, not entirely relevant, but good to know. And do you know, they've actually did something where they were saying, which are the worst fake accents? And I think they said it was Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins doing his English accent when he was Chim Chimney. There are some great YouTube videos of these professionals who work with actors to perfect an accent or a language. And they also, you know, watch major characters in different movies and they articulate, no pun intended, how well they did. And there's genuine nuance here. And they have this whole special language. But you should check those out because maybe you'd like to become a a language coach in the future. Getting back to whatever I brought up, if you can remind me what I brought up. Remember the game Barrel of Monkeys? No, no, don't don't do this. Please, you'll have to hold on. Yes, I know they're all connected to each other. I don't know why I just thought of that. Maybe Sliding Doors relates to this episode. Right. 
Barrel it, Monkeys does not? It may relate tangentially, but you're going to have to build a bridge for me and our listeners at some point. Okay. But the larger point is, yes. life can go in one or two or any direction based on some rather insignificant event. Like, did you get on a particular train or not? Did right. you get a particular person or not? Were you in the right place at the right time or not? So while we have had careers, we could have very easily had different careers. And it's kind of fun to think about what we would be doing if we were not doing what we were doing. It's also fun to think about what you wanted to do when you were a kid. Do you remember what you wanted to do when you were a firefighter, spaceman, center fielder on a baseball team? What did you want to be, Kurt? I think someone gave me this answer and I used it just de facto until I was about 14. Pediatrician. <laughs> Where did this come from, Kurt? No idea why. Someone once said, oh, I'm good with kids. You know what? Your own kids seem to tolerate you just fine. But I don't know if other people's kids would have the same reaction to you. Well, interestingly, so someone gave you that answer, but that's not the answer to my question. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Professional football player. Okay. So do you remember, gosh, it must have been almost 15 years ago that that professor at Carnegie Mellon, Randy Pausch, he gave this lecture called The Last Lecture. And right before, about a month before he gave the lecture, he was informed that he wasn't going to make it. He had a terminal illness. Right. And so the lecture took on a lot of meaning. Yes. And it was called the last lecture. I think one of his goals in delivering the lecture was all of these things he would want his kids to know that he may not be around to be able to tell them. And he talks a lot about sort of fulfilling your childhood dreams. By the way, if you haven't seen that, it's an incredible lecture. I think it's been watched like 20 million times on YouTube. And there's a book. I did about watch it. it. Well, anyway. I think trying to get back in touch with what you wanted to be as a little kid, but I don't know about professional football player, given your age, it seems unlikely that you would become a professional. Well, there's another one that I had when I was a kid. Anticipation of this episode. It's funny. I just wrote down some stuff right away of what I've always thought over the last few years and as a kid throughout time. Curiously, none of them have anything to do with the business world. So maybe the one thing I did choose is something I should have. Maybe I got on that wrong subway. They may not be better. I mean, the grass is always greener, but maybe the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence because it's artificial turf, Kurt. First AstroTurf hurts so gosh darn much. Oh, my God. I actually know a guy who is involved in the creation and sales. I think it may have been a Monsanto product. All right. I don't know. But when it rained in college during football and we had to go inside the field house, this is in the early 80s. It's like fuzzy concrete. Oh, and you get these turf burns and they would pus and they were disgusting and it hurt. Okay. Okay. All right. So So I think the other one ever since I was a little boy that I always wanted to do was to act. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. So that you're not too old for. I was the Grinch in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I was the cat in The Cat in The Hat. I was, I've had a bunch of these acting career, not career roles as a youngster. Most of them were, well, all of them were the non-singing part because I don't have that. So I think we should add a filter here that when we're talking about what we'd be doing if we didn't do with the skill set you have, this isn't like the Nadia Comaneci thing I talked about in a couple other episodes. I can't do gymnastics. 
I can't sing. So it's not those. This is with the skill set I have, what would I be doing differently? Right. So since you mentioned the Nadia Comaneci thing, Kurt, at one point in a previous episode, Kurt decided that in answer to one of the questions, he would like to be Nadia Comaneci getting a perfect 10 in the floor exercise at the Montreal Olympics. And that's fine. Leaving aside the images of Kurt in the leotard, blah, blah, blah. However, one of our listeners actually went to the trouble of putting Kurt's face <laughs> on Nadia Comaneci's body. And frankly, that was a mashup that I could have gone a lifetime without seeing. I'm afraid it's stuck in my subconscious. It's going to come out at really bad times. It's like a Chucky doll, by the way. It is truly disturbing. Okay. So I agree it should be within the context of our current skills. I was thinking about this very topic when I was watching The Queen's Gambit earlier. Ah. And what I was shocked at was, and it gets to passion, right? What I was shocked at watching that was when they weren't competing, they couldn't help themselves. They were playing chess all the time and they'd walk down the hall and play chess and she goes to a park and plays chess and when they're not competing, they're playing chess. It is them, it consumes them. And wouldn't that be wonderful to have that? Well, that's a good observation. I saw that and I think you're absolutely right. And there's this notion of your work being integrated with who you are. Yeah. I think we've talked before about how the word integer, the root of integrated just means one. And it means all the parts come together to create a whole, an identity. So it's not their work. It's not their job. It's not something they have to do to make money. It is who they are. And I think people who are able to figure out how to make a living or to spend their time in a way that's totally locked into who they are, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Which is why I've always thought, heck, maybe I should have just been a bartender. Is that because you spend? <laughs> it's not too late for that one either. I, you know, it, why don't you become a struggling actor and to make ends meet, you're a bartender until you get discovered at the ripe old age of yeah. So I have I have another one that I think I would be doing, and then I promise I'll ask you. But it's all in the same sort of camp. I was trying to think, what do I love doing? What if people told me that I'm decent at? And what if I could do this? The problem is it doesn't exist, I don't think, as a paying profession yet. But I use that word yet because, by the way, electric vehicles didn't exist as a paying thing five years ago either. So and look at Elon Musk now. What about if I could become, if I didn't do what I did and I was just a professional toaster? I love giving to not like to put the bread in and it pops up. That was my first image when you said that, by the way. And the problem is the bagel always gets stuck and it's too thick. Especially since it's impossible to cut a bagel into two equal halves. Can't do it. Physically impossible. It's against the laws of nature. But this is, you know, making toasts to at events, at parties, at things. I, I love to do that. Yes. You like to be the center of attention. You like to entertain people. You like to hear how entertaining you are. So it does go back to your acting thing. And so what are the chances that between now and one year from today that you will enroll in some sort of acting class? Very high. Ooh. Would you like to make a commitment right now in front of all of our listeners? Well, interestingly, before the pandemic hit, I had made a commitment. I had signed up for a four-week intensive acting class in London, as you remember. I do. So as soon as that opens up again, I want to do it in London because I want to get a leg up because apparently in the syllabi, 
I read there was one day when it was mastering the American accent. So I nailed that day already. Back to our accent. It's like when you're a professional poker player, you, you only enter games where you have an advantage. So, you know, you're not going you're gonna to sit down with a bunch of amateurs, but because you have a real advantage, but you're probably less likely to join a table where there are a bunch of pros. So you're looking for an advantage. That's smart. I hope that day happens, Kurt. So obviously, we don't know the answer to what we would be doing, but I've come across a bunch of professions over the years that I thought were really intriguing. I would say carving rutabaga. Carving rutabaga. Um, you have the <laughs> rutabaga part, right? But I was thinking more of mincing. I think it would be insanely cool to be an architect. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it appeals to me is that it's one of those jobs or professions where you have both left brain and right brain stuff going on. I mean, you have the creative part, which is you imagine how you know, how something looks and how the spaces are allocated and how people would use the spaces when they're built in 3D. And you also have the, you know, the hard edge math part because the building needs to stand up. So there's the engineering part, there's a budget part. So it's one of those professions where you get to be creative and you get to get into the math of it all too. And so I think you sort of have a whole brain kind of experience. And I think that's one of the reasons. Plus, I love architecture. And unlike the work that we do, or we've done throughout our careers, there's nothing to look at, really, that says, hey, this is what I did today, or this is what I did this year. Whereas if you have something to do with a building, a home, a space, there it is. I I get it. It'll stand for decades. I love the creative side of it. None of my buildings, my buildings would be like, you know, you do it out of Play-Doh and then your younger brother or older brother comes and squashes it down. That would happen to my building. Interestingly, along those lines, in New York City in the late 80s, a group of us were about to go to a party. And one guy came in and said to the bar, we were having a few drinks before we went to the party. He said, guys, I have the perfect line to meet women. You tell them, you're a children's book author. It shows you're creative and sensitive at the same time. And you could see all of us sort of locking it in. We went to the party. You would think it was a convention because we were <laughs> all doing it. I started talking about to two women about how I'm this children's book author and I had created this character as I was talking to them and all these books and things are going so great. And then my friend Jeff comes up <laughs> and he says, hi. And they say, hi, what do you do? And he says, children's book. And I'm immediately shaking my head. No, no, no. And he says, editor. <laughs> did you get editor out fast enough? Uh, he did. It worked. Well, I think considering your limited vocabulary, that may have been a good career for you, except well, you have quite a voluminous vocabulary. But who knows if you did in the 1980s? I wrote a bunch of kids books or, or thoughts about it years ago. And uh, that's something I would get back. Well, you know, we talked in a previous episode about Dr. Seuss and how he got into the whole, you know, really what made him so successful and famous was catalyzed by a challenge by his editor to write a book for young readers that was limited to 50 words because there was a list of words that were acceptable based on educational curricula at that point. Anyway, so that was the challenge. Write a book and not use more than 50 words. And that's where you get some of the greatest children's books that we've got from him. So another career that I came across that I thought, hey, that would be cool to do. Now, of course, 
when you get up close to these careers, being an architect or working in the world of sports or this next one may not be all that it's cracked up to be. So we have the great benefit of not knowing any of the second level details. Yeah. Some of the limitations of that. Right. About 10 years ago, I decided to take up ice hockey, which I, I've always loved hockey, just never, I didn't grow up playing it. I could skate a bit, but I, I joined the league. I had two great months before having a really bad accident and breaking the bones in my arm and doing really good damage to them. So I had to have surgery. And there's a bunch of plates and screws in my right, just above my right wrist. But as I spent time with the orthopedic surgeon, I was thinking, now that would be a cool career. I mean, you're basically a carpenter in a lot of ways, except you're working on with bones as opposed to wood. And you're, you probably get more feedback from the patient than you do if you're a woodworker. Yeah. I actually woke up in the middle of the surgery and, you know, I heard him using the electric saw and the electric screwdriver. And, but it just seems pretty cool to put people back together. And it's obviously the stakes are different than if you were, uh, I'd love to be a woodworker, but I think that's more of a hobby. Yeah. I, I think being an orthopedic surgeon would be an absolute pisser. But I am writing down the fact that I would like to get into woodworking as a hobby in the future. Wouldn't it be cool to make things? I think I'm yearning to actually impact something physical, whether it's leaving a building or fixing a bone, because I don't think I've ever had that part. So I think I'm getting that from you. I'm getting that that from me. And what about you, Kurt? You have an infectious personality. People love being around you. I enjoy being a center of attention, but not for being a center of attention. I enjoy bringing people together. I enjoy bringing people into it as a group. And if I need to be the catalyst to do so, be it on the accolade part or even being the made fun of part, I'm okay with that. I enjoy unifying people, which is why one of the most favorite things I did was I coached youth football. I coached 13 teams and I loved that. And I always said, when I stop working in in business, I'm going to go to a private school and teach English or history and coach the football team. Well, is that for now, you think? Or is that after you become an Academy Award-winning actor? Where does the ski bum out West come in and or the dive master in the Caribbean? Yeah, see, that's the problem. In my (laughs) mind, I've already planned my next six or seven lives, but that's not how this game is played. I think there's one career that both of us would have gotten a huge kick out of, I think, and that is screenwriting, whether yes. it's writing in some form, creative writing. But I think, I think it's hard. I'm sure it's incredibly difficult. And just because we want to do these things has probably little correlation to how good we would be at any of these things. But I think writing a movie or writing a television show or anything like that, I would love to do that. And, but you know what we should do instead? We should, we should host a podcast, Kurt. So that's leaving something behind, by the way, to your point, it's not an edifice, but it's something that's there and it could be on celluloid or it could be on digital or whatever, but it's something. You know, I'm not even sure it's about leaving something behind. It's not a legacy issue. It's seeing the effects of your work. You know what? We work really hard. A lot of people work really hard, but if you're in a service industry, for example, there, it's kind of hard to see the impact of what you did today. And that's not disqualifying because ultimately you're impacting other people's lives in a positive way. And that's wonderful and gratifying, but it's not tangible and tangible is easier, easier to see by definition. How about the guy that invented Legos? You think he had any idea how far reaching and significant his invention? Right. 
unbelievable. You know, in our dinner party episode, which we referenced in the last episode as well, we invited the guy who basically invented television. And think about the impact he has had on life in the 20th and 21st century. And the really interesting thing about him is he actually had a utopian motivation, you know, mission at heart. He thought that if we could expose different ways of life to other people around the world, we'd understand each other better and we would be less likely to be at war with each other. Now, it hasn't quite worked out that way, but profound impact. Well, so I get that philosophically. Here's what bothers me about that. Not bothers me. Here's what sticks in my craw. By the way, sticks in your craw, is that like a claw? But maybe a craw daddy is a claw daddy? You get a line, I'll get a pole, we'll go fishing down at the crawdad hole. Honey, obey be mine. What is that? I believe that is a Southern song of sorts. <laughs> okay. I am not going to sing it because I have even less vocal ability than you. That's hard to be. Yours is not terrible, actually. You've sung on many of our episodes. I don't know if you know that or not. I, I do you not. You have overcome your natural shyness pretty well, Kurt. <laughs> so my contention to people who say, which I get in theory by exposing other cultures, the culture itself, it makes you less antagonistic towards them. I get that philosophically. My challenge that is, or the opposite of that is once that happens, we get the pancaking of life. And that's not good. And that's sort of what's happening now. You, of course, know that you must explain to me and everybody else here what pancaking of life means, right? You don't know what pancaking of life? I know what a pancake is. I think I know what life is, but I don't know the pancaking of life. You spread it out and it sort of flattens out. So all of a sudden, you go to any country in the world and there's a Starbucks and an Ikea and a pottery bar. That's globalization, but there are still very significant differences in origin stories and identities and histories and cultures and values and all that stuff. So you're describing globalization, but how else will people who are different get along unless they can be exposed to one another, build understanding and ultimately empathy? Did I tell you about the time I was in Scotland? So I was in a pub and there was this huge guy with a huge red beard and a kilt. And somehow in talking to him, we, the two of us got into, we challenged each other to a drinking contest. I don't know how this happened to this day. And he told me to stand in the corner. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, I have two friends. He says, get them with you and stand in the corner. However they speak in Scotland like that. I have never understood a single word a Scotsman has ever said. And so it turns out he owned the place. The pub was closing at 10, 30, 11. They kicked everyone out. It's called a shut-in. We stayed in with he and his two mates about to have a drinking contest because now once you're in, you can stay up all night. Thankfully, it turned into a conversation instead, but it got into politics, which they harangued the U.S. for everything we were doing. This is in 1985. And we took it for a long time. A, it was their pub. B, it was in their town. C, they were bigger than us. D, they were making good points. Until one of my friends stood up and said, oh, yeah, what about the Marshall Plan? <laughs> then you had pancakes and made love. And then, no, then the, we had a toasty, which was pretty good. And then I'm not sure what it has to do with pancakes, but I do like syrup. You've never had a particularly intimate relationship with segues. <laughs> 
I never, did you ever take any of those tours, the Segway tours? Thank God I never did. You, of course, know I was referring to a different kind of Segway, right? U-E instead of W-A-Y. And by the way, by bringing up the Segway vehicle, you actually did a Segway. I had Segway. You, are so, segway. you know what? You operate at so many different layers. It's just your complexity is magnificent, Kurt. So getting back to different jobs and careers, I wonder if we would end up liking the different careers we've talked about. It's easy to go, hey, it would be cool to be a screenwriter or an actor or an orthopedic surgeon or an architect, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think every job has its is made up of a certain amount of crap that you wish weren't a part of it, a certain amount of pressure, anxiety, stress, competition. But that's the nature of many jobs. I think the guy who came up with the yellow smiley face probably didn't have a lot of stress and it worked out for him. I don't know. I think most people lead stressful lives regardless of what they do for a living because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. (gasps) Oh, that's what I would be. A talk show host. I'm sure you would be a very good one. But you realize the talk show host is the one who asks the question, (laughs) not answers the question. Well, could I? You could be the first person who was a guest on their own talk show. (laughs) All All right. We need to wrap up here, John. Oh, yeah, we should. So I would like our dribblers to opine on what they would be if they weren't doing what they're doing. And maybe we can all go to acting class together or maybe we can start a one big talk show together. You know what? I would like to go to acting class, too. You know what we should do to try different careers? Next time we record Smart Dribble, what if we switch roles and you be a co-host and I'll be a co-host? <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, Kurt and I will be back next week, if all goes well, with a brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Thank you for joining us this week. Have a great week. May your week be filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Ciao, TTFN. Ta-ta for now. woo